Okay, so today we will be discussing the monumental court case known as Roe v. Wade, and it was basically, it's, I mean, it's infamous, obviously, and a lot of people now know it because of what rights women have nowadays, mainly the legalization of abortion, and back in the 60s, 70s, and even before that, like, women were kind of starting to get rights, and this, like, was a really, like, monumental step. So, to understand this case as best as possible, it's important to understand our society and our views on abortion, and going way back to the beginning of the the United States, abortion was originally not that big of a deal. The term abortion was only used for terminating it at the end after what was called the quickening, which is when the mother felt movement. And before that point, it didn't even have a name. And there was medicine that people could take that would terminate the pregnancy. Um, in 1827, Illinois became the first state to make abortion drugs illegal. And you could have three months in jail. And then this spread to the rest of the country, especially with religious movements picking up. So in the mid to late 1800s, um, abortion became illegal in pretty much the whole country except to save the life of the mother, but it was still practiced. It wasn't really seen as that big of an offense, and it really became illegal because the American Medical Association wanted to eliminate competition. They were doctors and they thought that abortion specialists were competition to them and they wanted to get rid of it, but other than that, no one really cared if people had abortions, and up until the 1930s, it was still pretty much mainly available, and especially to the wealthy, but then in the 1930s, with prohibition, it started to become more attacked by the law and it became harder to obtain. And in the midst of this, there was obviously backlash, but there was also an overwhelming support for this by doctors, the population control activists, and the American Law Institute who fought for abortion rights. And especially before this case, you saw in the 1960s, feminist movement really started to pick up, especially with the Vietnam War, when they started joining the workforce, and they gained social and economic independence. And then even in the 1960s, also you see the Equal Rights Amendment being pushed in Congress. And after this case, you see that the feminist movement really started to make a change and make that shift to where women were moving away from the traditional roles in society and into more modern times into what we have today. So getting into the actual court case, we have our prosecution, which was Norma Jean McCorvey under the alias Jane Roe, and she became pregnant at 21 to her third child. And this child was with her husband who was abusive, and they had a rocky relationship from the start because he was 34 when he married her at 16, so obviously it wasn't a great relationship. So she she attempted to get a legal abortion by claiming that she had been raped because that was one of the only ways you could do that at that time, but she had no evidence and so therefore could not get access. And then she tried to get an illegal abortion, but abortion had become so heavily criticized in Texas at this point that she just couldn't find anyone. And so as a last resort, she went to an adoption lawyer. And this lawyer actually referred her to attorney Sarah Weddington, who would become the prosecutor on her case. And Weddington was fresh out of law school and she had been wanting to file a case against abortion laws for a while, but had needed a client. She actually had a personal connection to this issue because when she was in law school, she had become pregnant and she and her husband were forced to go to Mexico in order to obtain an abortion. And in the 1970 lawsuit, they filed it against the Dallas County District Attorney, Henry Wade, who represented the state of Texas in the case. And they filed it specifically against him because at the time he was one of the most famous lawyers. He almost had a 100% conviction rate. He was experienced and he was well-respected and he had never lost a case he personally tried. And so this also made the case high profile to where they could get the amount of attention they needed. And unlike the prosecution, Henry Wade did not have a personal attachment to the case and wasn't completely against abortion. So for him, this wasn't really as important. To, like, it wasn't important for him to try and win this as he didn't fully believe in the side that he was arguing. So that also played into the trial and the verdict. 
So the case first went to a three-judge district court in Texas, but then was sent up to the Supreme Court. And this makes it a little different from what you would think of as a traditional trial because there's no witnesses called, no experts, and there's no jury. So it becomes a little less personal. And this was one of the first cases we'd seen like this, so there wasn't really a protocol on how to deal with this. So the way the Supreme Court viewed this, it, it became simply based on the law. It wasn't based on um, Jane Roe. It wasn't based on her specific situation. And so the case went to the Supreme Court twice, and Weddington argued first against Jay Floyd, and she wasn't really prepared. She wasn't fully versed in her constitutional aspects. She didn't know how to argue for the Supreme Court. But then when she came back and argued against Robert Flowers, she was prepared. She knew how to argue constitutionality, and the Supreme Court ruled in a 7-2 to that the Texas abortion law was unconstitutional, and this was on January 22nd, 1973. And this verdict came from a mixture of things. First, it came from the 14th Amendment and the right to privacy, which had been proven by Grizzly Wolverine, Connecticut in 1965, basically saying that there's a privacy involved in medical procedures and the government really can't get involved with that stuff. And it also was under the Ninth Amendment, which is a amendment in the Constitution that basically says not all rights are included in the Constitution, not every single um, right is written down. And so the court has the ability to decide later on if they want to add something as a right. So this ruling that the Texas abortion law was unconstitutional ended up applying nationwide. And what it essentially did was it gave women complete control during the first trimester, which is the first three months, and that means that they can decide in the first three months if they're going to have an abortion or not, and this is protected nationwide by the federal government. And then it gave state interest to the second and third trimester, basically saying it's up to the state to decide if women are allowed to get an abortion in the later months of the pregnancy. And as a result of the case, the U.S. became just one of four nations to legalize abortion for any reason, and it also made abortion safer and easily accessible. And before this case in 1965, abortions were so unsafe that 17% of all deaths due to pregnancy and childbirth were the result of an illegal abortion. And now you had more access to it, people had actual plans on how to do it, they weren't doing it in sketchy locations with people who didn't know what they were doing, you have registered doctors, and you feel safer and more comfortable rather than risking a woman's health, which is what people were trying to prevent. And today, less than 0.3% of women undergoing legal abortion sustain a serious complication requiring hospitalization. And now you have organizations like Planned Parenthood and other clinics that help manage abortions in order to keep women healthy and safe in this process, because it's not an easy process. And so you have these organizations that reach out to you and make you feel loved and helped, and it's really good for the women especially. And it symbolized the freedom women were gaining and beginning to have at the the breakaway of the traditional family and they were entering the workforce more and this just added on to the things that women were gaining which eventually led to the sexual revolution in its prime and helped women especially in their roles viewed today and they revisited the case in 1992 and it was Planned Parenthood versus Casey where the conservative court narrowly avoided overturning the Roe v. Wade decision by one vote also adding on to the results of the case the actual woman Roe who was suing became an anti anti-abortion activist later on in life, and in 2003, she sued the Dallas district attorney in a futile attempt to overturn Roe v. Wade, and she claimed that at the time, she didn't understand what the case meant to society, and she just wanted an abortion for herself, and she didn't realize that getting into that, that she would be changing the lives of women everywhere. And Wade, after this, he stayed fairly quiet as he had no part in the case, and it didn't really overall affect him. His name is just, you know, infamously associated with losing this case. So obviously, this case played a major role 
memorable in the U.S. history, and it has earned the title of one of the most controversial Supreme Court cases in American history. And after this case, it was seen as kind of a fix-it-all solution. We're saying that women can get abortion, and that's going to be the end of it. But as we can see today, this was obviously not the end of this argument. Throughout the years up till now, we've had some backlash against this decision. There was the Hyde Amendment in 1976, which prohibited the use of federal Medicare funding for abortions. And also there was Planned Parenthood versus Casey in 1992, which allowed states to impose waiting periods on people attempting to get an abortion, which could be used to prevent abortion at all, because if you wait too long to have an abortion, you can't do it. It's not like you can just put it off till later. It has to be done in a certain time period or it won't happen. And they also allowed states to require parental notification. So if you were a minor, you would have to inform your parent. And also George Bush imposed something called a gag rule, which prohibited workers in federally funded clinics from mentioning abortion as an option. So people who would go to clinics searching for ways to help themselves wouldn't be told of this option and that way they wouldn't do it. But this was ended by Bill Clinton. And as previously mentioned, many people in the 21st century are looking to overturn the decision or have protested and voiced their concern, especially with protesting Planned Parenthood and other clinics like that. And some states are even regulating the terms in which women can abort the unborn fetus. And as recently as April 11th of 2019, Ohio signed the bill that made abortions illegal in the state after a heartbeat has been registered. And in Texas, even though the bill failed, it was proposed earlier in April that the death penalty a possibility in abortion cases. And the case has come into question recently with the appointment of Brett Kavanaugh since he takes a pro-life stance. The public began to wonder if the court would overturn the ruling due to the sudden right shift on the bench. And people still believe that this could be a repeat of the events that took place in 1992 with the revisit of the case. So despite all the controversy that we still see over this case, there's no arguing that it was a monumental moment for U.S. history and for women's rights history. And while the question of morality of abortion is still highly debated, and there doesn't seem that will be an answer or a compromise that will be found anytime soon, we can still look at this case and say that it was a pivotal moment in our history as a society, and it was really the start of the women's fights for rights and equality.